Welcome to Outdoors, I'm Brian, and this morning I'm at the Federal Building in downtown Bozeman with Mary Erickson, who is the forest supervisor. What areas does a Custer Gallatin cover? Headquarters is based out of Bozeman, and we have seven ranger districts, kind of covering from West Yellowstone, Montana, uh, Big Sky, Bozeman, swinging all the way out to Red Lodge, Ashland, and over the border into Camp Crook, South Dakota. Wow, so it's a very large district. It's, lo it's a large forest and it's geographically pretty spread out. What makes a land management plan so important? How, how would things function if there wasn't a land management plan? Yeah, that's a great question. In the early years of the Forest Service, there weren't these type of land management plans. There was probably also a little bit less complexity, mm -hmm. um, a little less uh, interface between the Forest Service and the broader publics that we serve. What I think you know, the reason for plans was the recognition that national forests are public lands. They're managed for the good of all the public and that national public. And if you go back to why, why the Forest Service as an agency has a planning process, partly that was the fact that on a periodic basis, you really have to take stock of what are you working on and what are your long-term goals. Because if you don't have a plan and you don't know what your desired conditions are in the long term, you don't know whether your projects are taking you in a direction that really sustains the forest and moves towards you know, an, an end objective that is the right trajectory or whether you're moving in the wrong direction. So you really have to have that longer-term framework. I also think, if you look at the history of why we have plans, that that chance for publics to weigh in and have their voices heard is really critical. Mm -hmm. And of course, you you do that at the project level. Whenever we have a project on the ground, you're, again, you're putting in a new trail, you're rerouting this, you know, this particular trail, you're designing this timber sale. There's always public involvement in that. But the ability to pull people in on a periodic basis on what is that long-term vision and what do people want to see and I wasn't here in the 80s when the old plans were being developed, but I can guarantee you if you went back to that time and think about who came to the public meetings and who got engaged, it was, a, it was probably a less diverse group of interest. Mm -hmm. There were probably a lot fewer people. I always tell the story that I started my career on a planning team mm -hmm. uh, a long time ago in Oregon. And you know, I was a young person out of college, and we would hold public meetings, and 10 people would show up. Mm -hmm. And they typically represented a pretty narrow cross-section of interest. Maybe there was backcountry horsemen, and maybe there was timber industry. And it was a very, very small group of people. Mm -hmm. And then you think about when we engage in efforts here, and you hold a meeting, and hundreds of people show up. And through the course of this planning process, thousands of people have engaged in this. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're, we might be different across the national forest system in terms of where we sit and the level of uh, public interest in recreation use. But I think that pattern is true across the country. Mm. I think public lands are incredibly valuable to people. And maybe in the 80s, not as many people understood uh, how important they were. Now I think people understand that and, mm. and they really show up. So you get all sorts of groups participating in this all public land of. democracy. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and you know the other thing, of course, is once you put out a decision, uh, you, we do our best to really think about what, is, what are we required to address in terms of law policy and regulation? What did we hear through the process? Um, what is that right balancing act? And we, 
you don't make everyone happy with that. Mm -hmm. um, we because because people have very are very passionate and they have their own views on that. But it it's a balancing act, and we hope that most people look at it and they say, okay, we might not agree with every part and piece in that, but we can at least uh, invest in stewardship on that forest and we can buy into parts of that moving forward. Yeah, I guess getting that higher level perspective makes a lot of sense to me because if you think about a situation with without that, then it's the it's just reactive. Right. You can't plan. You can't get a broader perspective on all of the, the the factors or people or groups that are impacted by this. So it's just the squeaky wheel probably that gets all the attention. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's a great point. If you had no plan that you were, that really gave you that guidance of what you're working on and towards and what your long term desired conditions are, you, every project then would be up for for debate and people would want to recreate. You know, as you're designing this project and as you're designing this trail, um, what should it be used for? And they'd want to argue. They they still can bring that to the mm -hmm. table, but the plan gives you the framework and kind of gives you that guidance. And every time we design a project and we put that decision out, we explain why it complies with this plan. What sort of of groups and organizations uh, participated in this process? So through this process, we've, we've worked with just a wide range of entities from, from individuals, organizations, NGOs, counties, state agencies. We work across two states and tribal governments. We, we consult with 19 uh, sovereign tribes across the landscape. You know, throughout that, there's uh, the level of engagement has been very high from state agencies and counties and a lot of interest in how these lands are managed along with our kind of our other NGO partners as well. Um, the land management plans for the Custer and Gallatin were done in the late 80s. That of course that was when they were separate national forests mm -hmm. so there was there was a plan for the Custer National Forest and a plan for the Gallatin National Forest. Uh, this last time, as we went through the revision process, it took us six years. We wow. started the process in January of 2016 and just signed the decision January of 2022. So this is fresh. This is a <laughs> It's fresh. It's fresh. It's a big deal for us. The, the law requires that every unit of the National Forest System have a land management plan in place. That hasn't always been the case. That was the... That was part of the National Forest Management Act in 1976, and since then, all units go through this planning process. Plans are they're high-level strategic documents, so they don't decide specifically where a trail goes, or where you put in a campground, or you know, or maybe where you have a fuels treatment project or a timber sale. They don't decide at that level, but they they are a strategic document, a guiding document, and they really set up the framework for all the projects that you implement. So it will talk about um, guidance for sustainable recreation. It will talk about guidance for how you protect fisheries and how you protect wildlife habitat and really the integration of those two, mm -hmm. how you address recreation use and protection of wildlife. The plan also has designated areas. Mm -hmm. Not every area of the National Forest is in a special designation, but this plan does have designated areas. And in the case of our plan, the plan has existing wilderness and you know existing designations mm -hmm. that were already in place, and then some new designations like recommended wilderness, backcountry, recreation emphasis areas, 
as it speaks to human-powered recreation, there's guidance on how we think about recreation and recreation developments and infrastructure in both of those things I talked about. There's guidance if it's a designated area on mm -hmm. what's allowable. We might say in recommended wilderness, we're not, you know, we're trying to maintain that wilderness character and we don't allow mountain bikes or, and we're fairly clear on the things that are no longer compatible or wouldn't mm -hmm. be compatible. But the plan also then gives guidance forest-wide for how you think about where certain uses are allowed and when you're designing trails, again, in connection to uh, wildlife habitat or wildlife migration mm -hmm. corridors. So yeah, when you read the plan, it's, it's a high-level document but has a lot of detail from the, from the broad designations to the down-in-the-weeds descriptions about how you design projects. Mm -hmm. Obviously, recreation is a big part of what national forests in Montana are about and deliver uh, from from wilderness to backcountry to you know to all sorts of other motorized opportunities. Mm -hmm. The Custer Gallatin, particularly on the this side, the western side of the forest, is one of the most visited and heavily used recreation forests in Montana. Mm -hmm. And then I think about you know if you bring that to the microcosm, Highlight Canyon, mm -hmm. and the complexity of recreation uses there is we always describe it as the most visited kind of recreation complex within the state of Montana on national forest system lands. Mm. That doesn't mean that there's not sites over in the Bitterroot or on the low, low forest that get tremendous use. But when you think about that complex that's highlight, the organizational camps, the campgrounds, the trail network, it, it's it's just a it's a complexity of recreation uses mm. there that, that maybe not all forests experience. Right. So what sort of things would have changed over the past years since the 80s, since it was done before. From the late 80s to now, that's a long time mm -hmm. for a, a strategic plan. A tremendous change across the landscape. There's the, there's the organizational change for this forest of now we're managed as one national forest. So the idea of how you bring the, the guidance for the Custer forest and the Gallatin forest into one more consistent way of looking at that and, and how you allocate resources. There's, in terms of policy around fire and how we think about the effects of wildfire, how we think about guidance around climate change and our actions relative to climate change. So lots of new science, um, lots of evolution in wildfire policy and disturbance. And then I think where you are going it probably, particularly on this side of the forest, not so much on the east side, uh, the, the population increases and the human visitation increase mm -hmm. is, is really significantly different. And, of course, with that, the number of people in communities, maybe some of the expectations that people have, yeah, it, it, very different than when the plans were designed in the 80s. Mm. How you address that balance between um, sustainable recreation and what people perceive as uh, conflicts, mm -hmm. definitely very different. We worked with the Center for Large Landscape Conservation to think about wildlife connectivity across the board. And one of the elements we brought out there is something we call a key linkage area mm. that called out this uh, these corridors really from the Gallatin Range up through the Bridger Range. And it's not a, it's not a hands-off designation, but it is a designation of an area that, that we placed limits on ourselves and limits on future uses. Again, particularly around building new infrastructure, building new trails, um, the types of events that we would authorize or permit in there to really 
manage that so that provides a corridor for wildlife. Mm-hmm. Right. What was the most surprising part or kind of unexpected thing that happened in the process? I don't know if this should have been surprising, but these two forests were actually combined in 2014, Mm -hmm. uh, the Custer and Gallatin officially. And they had, again, they had older plans from the 80s. And as we were designing this process, we said we really needed to think about how do you develop a plan that really recognizes the differences across that landscape and that sense of place. And I, again, I don't know if this is surprising, but it's one of the things that was so important is when you went out in those early meetings to Buffalo, South Dakota, mm-hmm. fairly small community, or Ecolaca, Montana, and there was really a concern from people there about what was this person from Bozeman, you know, how was someone from Bozeman going to really understand what values that community mm-hmm. had, and would we take Bozeman-based values or sensibilities Mm -hmm. and kind of slap them over something in eastern Montana. Mm -hmm. And and I think there was a concern about that. Mm -hmm. Would we recognize that different communities have different needs and different associations with the national forest? Again, there's still national forests, but there's also varying local values Mm -hmm. and and, uh, local desires on how the forest is managed. We really have to design this process where you can't you can't design it all from Bozeman. You have to be out there. Mm-hmm. You have to really make sure that you're recognizing that the needs of different communities are different. I, I like to think about ranger districts. That's really where, that's the service delivery side of the Forest mm-hmm. Service, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that's the body of land. There's a district ranger and their staff and they're doing the work on the ground. And the headquarters, we deal with broader policy. We deal with allocation of resources. And, we, and with so many different, um, you know, balancing the interests of different groups, including wildlife, <laughs> how do you determine when the plan is done? You know, there's some clear steps in the process. So the first year, that assemblage of some of the scientific information, the assessment, then you go into that development of alternatives. Hmm. And and there's a process for developing alternatives, went through a series of, of public meetings, again, across that whole range of communities, across those landscapes, um, vetted the alternatives with the, with the public, went through a draft environmental impact statement, put that out again for comment and people mm-hmm. to weigh in. Though, as people weigh in, our publics are diverse. People value these lands in the national forest, but there's not always agreement on how they should be managed yet. (laughs) And uh, and a lot of diversity of views on that. So we developed a draft EIS, put that out again for public comment. Then we put out a final EIS and a decision that goes out for objections. And then people who have participated throughout the process can file objections. Hmm. And that process was the summer, fall of 2020. Mm -hmm. Our regional office and national office takes a look at all those objections. They look at those through the lens of law, policy, and regulation. Mm-hmm. Not not the choices we we put forth, but is there a violation of law, policy, and regulation? They gave us some instructions to address in our analysis in the spring of 2021. We took all that into consideration, went back and looked at all the objections one last time, made some tweaks to to that based on what people said and really moved it to the finish line. Great. Well, thanks, Mary, so much for taking the time to explain to us uh, the value of the land management plan and a bit of that process so hopefully people can get a better understanding. Uh, And then moving forward, where can people go to to learn more about the plan or get ongoing information? Well, 
Of course, I always suggest that, that people can get great information at a local ranger district office um, because that way there's a person there and if you have questions you can also get some human interaction. Um, but you can go to our website for the Custer Gallatin. It has a ton of information. It has the link to all of our documents and has forest-wide information as well. And we also have a Facebook page and we are on Twitter. All right. I'll make sure to put all the links down at the bottom so people can click right to that. And thanks again so much for being on the podcast. Thank you.